1: Wow, buddy! You look healthy and happy. Veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. That's why he developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Hmm,
0: maybe I should try some of your pet food myself. Okay, okay, I'll start with a salad.
1: For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition, available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com work. It's the criminal code of the underworld and a sacred vow of silence. But what happens when a criminal turns witness against his own? MCD presents Omerta, a live show with me, Nicola Talent, in association with Crime World on April 27th in the Olympia Theatre Dublin. Tickets on sale now at ticketmaster.ie. Omerta, breaking the secret code. I
2: think I actually asked him about that murder, and he said, oh, do you believe in aliens? And I, I said, I don't think I do, Mr. <laughs> Dundon. No, I said, I don't. And uh, he said, there's more chance of aliens
0: existing than me having committed these crimes. It was really, you know, at the height of, I suppose, the fear of the McCarthy Dundons and what they were capable of, which yeah. we know they're capable of, of anything. And the only limitation was, I suppose, their capabilities rather than their ambition.
1: I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Raids on the homes of notorious crime brothers, the discovery of a cocaine mixing factory and the seizure of a home and equestrian facility owned by a cartel oddbod. Welcome to Crime World. Today, I'm chatting with Niall Donald and Eamon Dillon about the Dundon Brothers' comeback about Ross Browning's property portfolio and about the far-right celebrity hanging out with a convicted criminal. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So I was down in Limerick this week. Now, not prior to these raids, but in the aftermath of it and on a different, for a different reason, but did a little drive around the island and, um, you know, uh, Ross and South Hill and Hyde Road and all the old stomping grounds of the gangs. And obviously that rejuvenation project is still going. There's vast kind of fields left where this house has been knocked down. They were trying to, you know, uh, cut the amount of people living there, obviously, as part of it. But, um, uh, you know, there's still a lot of gang members around, and we can certainly see that there's sort of, Limerick is beginning to, I'm sure they don't want to hear it, but it is slightly beginning to rise again, isn't
2: it? Yeah, that's if it ever went went away, gangland in Limerick. I mean, obviously there was there was a series of murders um, over a decade ago now, probably over, to, over the space of a decade, starting 20 years ago, and then things really quietened down in Limerick, but again this week um we had raids uh, in uh, Balmacara Weston where the Dundon family uh, have been based and there was serious seizure of a a, a cocaine press and a num- and white powder and it just shows that the the Dunden McCarthy gang the old remnants of it are are still in operation and that they're still they're raising
1: their head again a little bit too frequently at the moment for comfort. I have to say, we're hearing an awful lot about them. Did you, um, you've been down loads of times to Limerick, and you know, Wayne Dundon's house is on one corner, yeah, no, and obviously the John Dundon's on the other. And yeah, we, I
0: remember years ago when we used to have the budgets for it, we actually hired a helicopter and flew over all mm. the various uh, gangland strongholds to kind of give people an idea of the scale which wasn't the idea that it was huge, but they were actually relatively small areas. So even though the gangs controlled a small footprint, yeah. they controlled the drugs trade. And of course, as we know now, like they, they control their neighbors and the people around them. And a lot of people, you were using the phrase when we were talking before we came on about the idea of people being, you know, cuckooed. They were forced out of their homes and promised that they get paid. Of course, they would never see any money, which explains why there were so many derelict houses even back mm-hmm. then. Um, when we flew over, like you know, we, we, it is amazing to see it from the air. Particularly some parts of Ross where like you know, half an entire terrace, you know, the roof was gone. Um, you know, they, they were clearly uninhabitable. These houses, and and even even until recently, like we're, we've done stories as well about, um, I think the council trying to force members of the Colopy family to to to. Um, sell up or to, to or to seize a house from them that they had been using, which mm. was basically being used for drug dealing and people taking drugs and so on. So but the cheapest,
2: but, yeah, the cheapest three bedroom house in Ireland, I think, was the house next door to Wayne Dundons, which was I think it was going for 40,000 yeah. about a number of years ago.
1: During the boom, probably during yeah. the boom. Bargain 40, 000, basement house um, wouldn't if there if you paid me. And it's still empty, actually. Yeah, you there can you see go in, in the pictures this week. I'm not alone. But yeah, I mean, it's still, you know, like any rejuvenation of an area or whatever is going to cost a lot of money, but you're driving around. Like what strikes me, you said it there really, at these small areas, Limerick is small. And like you go from South Hill to Moy Ross to Balnakara Weston, and you're in these places within like five minutes drive and in a blink, one minute you're outside Wayne Dundon's house and the next thing you're standing outside Brown Thomas. Oh
2: yeah, it's very much... You know, much, it's
1: so it, close to the centre. Everything is so close. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I mean,
2: the Dundons were very much living in the... effectively in the city centre of yeah. Limerick, you know. A great address really, like... Yeah,
0: you know, if you're I mean, yeah, I mean, Tala is probably bigger than Limerick in terms yeah. of population Um and even, even, I suppose, even in terms of square mileage um and, and you look at... You know, I mean, parts of Tala have their own problems with gangs and drugs, particularly some parts of West Tala. But it's not as concentrated as it has been in Limerick, which I think has been part of the problem that you've had this sort of inter, inter-family rivalry, sibling rivalry almost, that's mm-hmm. kind of um, spurred people on. Um, and, of course, the fact that keep, people keep buying the drugs as well has given them their power. And and a lot of these people, you know, like the Dundon McCarthy's um, Maybe not as much the King Colopies, but a lot of them were manipulated to some extent by a layer of criminals, you know, who are actually above them, who are importing stuff in at a much higher level. Some of whom we've never been able to name because they've never been caught. Um, yeah. And, and they're well known. They're well known. Their names are well known on the streets in Limerick, um, you know, all along, despite their terrifying reputation and their international contacts that they had to some extent. The McCarthy Dundons were never seen more than other than, as I suppose, a street gang or there were middle management in in, in the setup.
1: Mm. Do you know what strikes me as well, though, down in Limerick, that, you know, people talk all the time about, oh, pump more resources into the police, need more police out in the beat. You know, it's such a wide issue and it's like it involves all sorts of things. Education, you know, to try and sort of solve. Not you're not going to solve this problem, but to try and sort of offer as much hope as possible. But one of the things is planning. Yeah. And when you look at the island, yeah. I mean, who designed that? I, I don't mean, know. That was obviously way before drugs became a problem. Yeah. There was one road onto that and one road yeah. off it. Now there's another way off it. But like for anybody who hasn't been, it literally is an island with this narrow little road that you couldn't fit two cars on, just one down it. And the next thing you're into this housing estate with a war on a cul-de-sacs. Yeah. Um, you can just see if a gang took control of an area designed like that, It's their fortress.
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, uh, and Moira's is something similar, if not as as pronounced, that there literally is one way in and one way out. And it made the policing of it very, very difficult, I think, in in the island field. And then they those those gangs really took a hold of the community. And Mm. there was a lot of low-level intimidation. A lot of that stuff went on. um, And so if you look at parts of Dublin that were traditionally uh, considered locations of gangland criminals, they were, they have been gradually uh, uh, yuppified really, mm. you know, parts of the south inner city, the north inner city in Dublin, but that couldn't have really happened in Limerick. I mean, obviously Limerick has made huge strides and Limerick is, you know, we always get criticised when we make a connection between gangland and the city, but, and and there is, I suppose, a fairness in that, in that, Limerick seemed to be tired with it, but, you know, it was a very specific problem, I think.
0: Um, to be fair to the island field, it, it was of its time. Um, it was completed in 1935, and if anyone's read Angela's Ashes, it was clearing those slums in Limerick. So, I mean, it, in, in fairness, you can't really blame the designers in, you know, in whenever it was in the late 20s or early 30s when they first started, yeah. you know, coming up with where they were going to build these houses and and what they were going to be like. Um, I think part part of the problem as well, I, I think, was that in in subsequent housing schemes um, in, in in the decades following, there was grants available to people to move out to make room, um, and you know that was either to build their own own homes or new homes. So that had the effect of draining, commu- you know, potential community leaders from these area um, from these areas, mm. which you know I think gave more potential for you know criminal figures to increase their own um, sphere of influence, you know, among their neighbors.
1: Yeah. Which is exactly what they did. So really, it was kind of at the end of like beginning of the 2000s, that things became really dirty. And I suppose that these family gangs started, you know, lining up together and against one another. These sort of battle lines were drawn and it was marked really by the, the keen Colopy gangs got together. The McCarthy Dundons got together, but the Dundon brothers coming back from the UK was the most yeah, significant point. The Dundon brothers had been raised for the most part
2: in London, um, but they were expelled from London. They were d- deported back to Ireland. Didn't um, Wayne do some horrific... There was an attack on a very elderly man. In a wheelchair that, or something. Yeah, and that led to their deportation. Now, oh, while well, they were over there, they had this web of connections to very serious criminals in the UK who had access to weapons, all of that sort of stuff. But when they came back into into Limerick, and you're talking about maybe the the broader context of the planning and all that, but this uh, group of very violent, dangerous, committed criminals were put into that mix, teenagers who are very, very uh, reckless, and they escalated a feud that had been bubbling along uh, in the city and just brought it to a whole other level. In particular, the tree, the tree brothers, John Wayne and Desi Dundon, mm. who were ferocious, uh, violent criminals.
1: So, I Eamon, what exactly again happened? There was one of the Keens murdered, and then there was a. Um, they went back at some of the McCarthy Dundons and then it just sort of exploded, basically.
0: Yeah well it's kind of considered that the, the the first murder in the feud was that of uh, Kieran Keane who would have been part of the the King based in St Mary's Park the island the field. head of
1: that gang Yeah
0: and uh, Owen Tracy who survived he was stabbed but it was a double cross um the, the um, McCarthy Dundons had set them up they were lured lured out to a, a quiet area where they, they were eventually you know one of a, one was shot and stabbed um and th- there was you know, I think the next murder after that was was Eddie Ryan being shot dead in the Moose Bar. He was, uh, and again, you know, there's people still serving time for mm. for, for, for both those murders. They're, they're still inside. Where
1: did the Ryan's and, sit? Were they? But the
0: Ryan's were
2: were cousins of the uh, the other McCartys, the Moy Ross McCartys. Yeah. Who so, are cousins of the Dundons. Who were who are related to the Dundans. Yeah. But the Rhines were it would the originally it was the Ryan McCarty gang. Yeah. Effectively.
1: And the Dundans came and, in and, and joined the them, Dundons basically. And the Dundans came
2: in and associated themselves with that. And they have a family connection into that gang. Yeah.
1: And and and
0: and even Eddie Ryan would have actually worked though for Kieran Christy yeah. Keane before that. Yeah. They um, were they were all and, the and, one. And wanted to actually go out on his own. And there's some talk that there was an attempt to kill Christy Keane at that point or right. an attack of some form on him. On, on him, so that the attack in which Kieran Keane died was actually a revenge for the first one. But you know, this is this is all the kind of the theory. Very much, you know. Of, and with of the Colobies,
1: they were a big, big family of boys, and they were they uh, were from
2: the island. They were from St Mary's Park. They were they. They were, lined
1: up with the Keens. Were they related, or were they just they started working together? No, they're not.
2: They're not related. They they just they were just from the same geographical area. They were. They're roughly the same age as the Dundons, mm. if you want. And they were very they were um they were very much involved in the heroin trade in in yeah. in, in in Limerick. And they associated with the Keynes. They kind of had different connections. to, like if you remember the dundon McCartys had very strong connections with which with the Fat Freddy gang and with some of the, the, the Kinnan associated criminals in Dublin. Yeah. There was a constant movement of, of people down there. Mm. While the the, the the Keynes and the Coloppies had very strong ties with the Rattigan gang and also with George the Penguin, Mitchell's associates.
1: So they had two different suppliers, effectively. But um, the Dundon... And they were on either side of the city, but they were constantly clashing even on small levels in the city centre. I mean, there was all sorts of... Dole office fights. Dole office fights and, you know, they sort of... Would have had to stay within their tiny little areas, and, and it was a famous
0: one. Of you know, one broke out in a fast food restaurant, and it happened to be that the, I think it was the Garda Síobháil unit were passing or which? had stopped to get food and broke it up and made some arrests at the time. Yeah. So it was, yeah, but it was quite wild. But don't forget this time when when you're talking about the economy, was absolutely taken off. Mm. Like this is you know the little blip in the property market in 2000 and whatever it was, three or four had kind of had 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 finished, and now it was the free for all. And you, ha- you had young builders on a thousand quid a week, so I mean they're giving a hundred euro to Mammy for the board and lodgings, and, and you know, and of the other nine hundred, maybe four or five hundred was being spent on cocaine or other drugs Friday night. Yeah. So they were making huge amounts of money. Absolutely, yeah. you know, it was staggering the amount of money that was being made at that stage. And it wasn't it wasn't just Limerick in fairness, like it no, became. It's, they, became it's all all hub <clears throat> they became a hope for. became a hope for, gangs in Munster
2: and and up yeah. to Galway and places like that. The Limerick gangs became those. Suppliers, like so, they became a kind of a, mm. uh, you know, a, a kind of a franchise in that part of the city, um,
1: so and it the, was the murder then, really, of the two innocent um, victims, being Roy Collins and Shane Gagan, that really kind of spurred into action um, the government drive to stamp out these gangs because there was a political will there, and the resources were pumped into the Garda Garda Shikona and all the specialist units went down to Limerick, sort of. 2008 to 2011-ish. Yeah, I mean, those two murders were genuinely
2: shocking. I mean, they were probably both uh, carried out at the height of the power of the Dundon brothers, really. Ultimately, at that point, the Dundon brothers really were willing to kill so quickly and for such trivial matters, and there really was an air of fear around them. Um, Shane Gagan was uh, an absolutely innocent rugby player, he was shot as he arrived home after a night out at an estate. He was mistaken for a, a, a criminal that had been associated with the King Colopy gang. Um, a hitman, uh, Barry Doyle, the brother of Paddy Doyle, ultimately shot him on the orders of John Dundon. Um, totally mistaken identity. Very, very shocking killing. Um, the And... Uh, Roy Collins was an even more sort
0: of uh, complicated
1: one in the sense that... Well, Wayne that Dundon had already been to prison, and hadn't he, for, in relation to threatening a relation of...
0: Yeah, I mean, there was Ray a young Collins. barman in one of one of the Collins's, um bars that they owned in, in Limerick. And then at this stage, I think Roy was, it was the steering wheel in, in, in Roxburgh and Roy Jr. was working there. And it was very much just revenge because uh, Wayne Dundon had been 10 years inside. Well, he got a 10-year sentence, whatever. He, I can't remember exactly what he served. Um, and it was very much it, it, it was a revenge for that. It was trying to. to and
1: like you there, there was no business reason for it originally because his younger sister, who was fourteen at the time, wasn't allowed in. Yeah, to yeah. Drink they wouldn't in the serve pub. her to drink. Yeah. yeah, they wouldn't serve her. Does that just that was show it. how? And leg. shot him in the leg actually. Like yeah, they shot him in the leg. He came back uh, and shot him in the leg. And then, and then, but it just Wayne, shows how untouchable they felt they were, and how they sort of lose touch completely with reality. And, and, and they,
0: and they justify their own actions. I mean, now you spoke to yeah. Wayne when he got out after yeah. that sentence. After I mean, that sentence. After that sentence,
2: he got out and obviously you have coffee he did coffee with him, or something. No, no, I, he he got out. Um, now the murders, Wayne Dundon, of course, had ordered Roy Collins. Murder from his prison cell. Yeah. I mean, that was the evidence given and accepted in the court. But he got out in the meantime before that case could be brought after serving that ten-year sentence, and he flew off to um, Mexico with the wife for a hollybops. For a hollybops, and uh, it some it, it had been put in the paper where he was staying. So uh, it was just a Saturday. I just rang up the hotel and asked can I speak to Wayne Dundon. There's no Wayne Dunne. Oh, Wayne McCarty, because he did go and he yeah. got on the phone. Yeah, he got on the phone, and I don't know. He was he, he, he was. What did he say? He what said did you say about, I'm sorry to
1: bother you. He I said. I this... said. Well,
2: what about the? I think I actually asked him about that murder, and he said, "Oh, there's more." Do you believe in aliens? And I, I said, "No." Well, I said, "I don't think I do, Mister <laughs> Dunne." No, I said, "I don't." And uh, he said, "There's more chance of aliens existing than me having committed these mm-hmm. crimes." And he, he chatted chattered away, um, and see because they were funny, the Dundons they liked. In a sense, the the, the publicity was. They always put pictures up on social media. Um, they didn't seem. Did to they? Do you remember
1: they Wayne one of the daughters was having the communion? Yeah, that was just a couple of he, days he, later. What after he got back from Mexico? Yes, he got back from Mexico. Because you remember the 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 um horse and carriage, carriage that yeah, that Bristol one carriage. of those yeah. topless models in England had used for their wedding.
2: Katie Price, Katie Jordan. Price, Jordan, Jordan, Jordan.
1: Yeah. And it was like this sort of fairy tale princess thing. Uh. And it was the first time it had sort of really yeah. been used properly yeah. in Ireland. And like Wayne Dundon, like his princess yeah. was in there making her communion yeah. or a confirmation or whatever it was, and like he stopped traffic. But it was this sort of moment of you know showing how a yeah. family guy he was, and yeah. And then he, he then the Limerick leader published the pictures. How could you both know the name Nick, of Katie Price uh, and Jordan and everything like that? And I couldn't remember it. I think you'll notice I didn't say anything. No, you didn't actually.
2: <laughs> you know, I
0: just know everything,
2: Nicola. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, no. Um, but then he uh then he stormed into the Limerick. Leader's office yeah. and said, "But well, look, I'm a. He's, he's, you know how? Did, why are you putting this in? He so was in a
1: temper now. I would have been scared of him. He, yeah. he is a scary yeah. character. Like but he I've did attack a, a
0: detective one time when he was being um, interviewed in, in a police station. Broke yeah. his jaw, and it was all caught his on jaw. video at the time before they could, yeah. you know, restrain him. Like he was, he's a volatile. He's a big guy."
1: Dreaming. And they're boxers and like all of the Dundons mm. have boxed and they are like big burly guys. Yeah. I mean, I've spoken to jer outside courtroom. He was very polite to me, obviously, yeah. at the time because we were surrounded by police and various photographers and etc. But um, like they're huge, big looming characters. Yeah. Now, Wayne seems to have these like sort of, he's a kind of a grey pallor to him and he has these, icy eyes, like there are kind of a grey blue eyes, and he loses his temper and he goes white. Yeah. And there's people who say he, he they, will salivate, you know what I mean? When he's he gets so angry and he's so out of control. And he is that. He's a volatile character, there's no control in his emotions whatsoever.
2: And if you remember at the time, even in the prison system, they cause huge problems and there was a huge amount of like bullying and mm. intimidation while they were within prison, they really ruled a roost in certain places. And people found them uh, very in, in, in that context. They were very, very sinister, very much praying. But on why did God, they let them
1: both stay together, the two brothers, when they eventually, of course, were convicted? Both of them are serving life sentences now after this big crackdown.
0: Well, I'd say it comes down to simply it's a matter of space and that you're not going to put anyone else in a cell with one of those Dundans. It right, just wouldn't enough. be fair on them. Yeah. And, and also they have that, to be
1: kept apart
2: from
0: so many different gangs in the prison and, system as well. They and, can- and we've seen in the past where like you mentioned some of the alliances they had with Dublin um, criminals and, and there, those alliances have been forged while they've been in prison. And that's mm-hmm. how, how it's come about. And they've been, you know, manipulative in the way they've done it. There's been... You know um, double crosses, which we know from what's been said recently in in, in uh, a murder case in the north involving Robbie Lawler, um, and they've they've done it before as well. They were they were, they were involved in a contract uh, for Hassan Hassan to kill his wife by ba- ba- Salute. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, they're. they're they don't stop being criminals because they're locked up. They're still working on it. And
1: but together, surely they're a more powerful force than they would be if they were apart. Well, you know? they're being treated very naive? differently
2: now in the prison system. Uh, since they've since uh, John and Wayne are serving sentences for murder, subsequently they've been treated, uh, they've been very much kept apart from the general prison population for the most part. Um, and where's Desi been,
1: is he with them as well Desi is, has been
2: with them because of course he
1: was charged or c- convicted in relation to that first murder the Keane murder so he's been in prison the longest yeah, he's done years. 20 odd years and
0: if, if you remember um, the judge at the time said that so long as the feud is, is going on um, you're going to stay in jail and there's just we know there's two of the five that are, are in open prison now right um, they've got as far as um, uh, not, not Lock and House but they're in oh they are sorry they're in Lock and House um, and I think that, like I said, Nadia McCarthy has been very upset that he hasn't been considered yet for parole, considering he was cooperative, right. you know, in terms of helping to put, um, I think it was Wayne, in Wayne's case, yeah. putting him away, giving it, evidence against him. It was Wayne, yeah, it was at that
1: court case. I mean, yeah. I, I, unfortunately... He overheard for, a for, comment for all, or something.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately no. for all the lifers that are in there, everything got put back because of COVID, and I think they've revamped the parole board, which I, I know is a yeah. topic you're going to be mm. touching on in the future. Um, and, and that kind of knocked it all back. But is
1: Desi Dundon, like... On his way out? But
0: he could be on his
2: way out,
1: but he isn't, as far as I know. And he's he been hasn't moved a- parole yet, obviously. No, he's been
2: moved around. Like, they have been moved around a lot since they've gone into prison on this cycle. John and Wayne. John, Wayne and Desi. And, and have been kept apart. They No, not always. They've been mm-hmm. kept together for the most part, but they've sometimes been kept apart and they've been moved through different prisons at times. They've been kept away from the general population at times. Um, well, they were and together when Robbie Lawler was murdered.
0: Yeah, no, as far as the, the last I looked, I think it was Wayne and John were together in Mount Joy, and Desi and Nathan Killeen were together in the right. high security in Port Leash. Um, but that, I mean, that could have changed yeah, since, have. like, you know, uh, but they, they had, I think Killeen at one point was moved out to the, the Midlands, but was so disruptive, they had to put him back. Um, you ben know, Killeen, Killeen
1: would be the brother-in-law of John Dundon. Yeah, Mary, yeah. the sister, the brother of uh, Kira Killeen, Killeen who's yeah, who still hurt. living in this house in Hyde Road, which brings us back to Hyde Road and obviously in this week because um Tuesday, Wednesday morning or something, cars, police cars lined up outside these Dundon houses, the three Dundon houses. And uh obviously next door to them are a lot of vacant homes, which we'll talk about in a minute. But they raided them for... What yeah.
2: reason? Well, they 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 were raiding them um, for what they found was a, a cocaine press and a, a large quantity of white powder, as it's described. But th- that would be a typical uh, guard press release where they don't say this is mm. is cocaine; it's suspected well, they cocaine. It, they? they have to test it. Yeah. So, um, but part of what we hear is that um, the 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 McCarthy or the Dundon the Dundons are making a degree of a comeback. Um Eamon obviously had a story in last week's Sunday World about the Yardies. Tell uh, us about
1: that, Eamon.
0: No, th- this is, um, you know, coming from various sources that um, all of a sudden there, there, were, there was a bit of fear. That would be the best way it was described to me about um, some of these characters who had turned up in Hyde Road. Um, and there was all sorts of, you know, I, I guess, you know. I, I don't know how true, but there was certain rumors about weapons being brandished and, and, and stuff like this. And of course, the Yardies is a kind of a pretty much an umbrella term for, uh, you know, London-based Jamaican gangs, a, again, who had a, a huge reputation for violence in in London or whatever, 20, 30 years ago and, and still exists. But it's it's very much an umbrella term. There isn't like, you know, a Yardie Inc where there's a head Yardie. I think yeah. it's kind of a generic term for any sort of, um, you know, kind of street dealer or tough guy from from Kingston who, you know, Whose relatives are now like on the on the streets of London, and they, they brought these guys in. Um, but we know again, even from even from the recent kidnap case that Jared Dundon was convicted over as Darren McLean. That if you if you if you read some of the court reports, uh, one of the victims talks about you know they were taken to um, they were, they were taken to an apartment or a building somewhere, and then a number of uh, black men you know burst into room and started threatening them with with weapons. So you know it, it's it's the Dundons have always used. You know, people from outside the family to carry out crimes. We know yeah. that, you know, at the, at the time, at the at the height of the feud, Larry McCarthy Jr., Red Larry, who was uh, uh, kind of considered the head of the clan, he spent most of his time during the feud in jail in the UK. He was caught in what was described as a, a you know a, a weapons supermarket. It was full of automatic weapons and mm. handguns and stuff like this. You know, and and he the, the had James or Martin. Yeah, James Martin Cahill was brought in. He was involved in in I think the. The, the Shane Gagan murder as well. Yeah. Um and he was caught with two Uzi submachine guns. And and he turned he was one of the informants against them. And I don't think his his evidence it was eventually believed, but he he turned uh state witness witness against them as well because he basically feared he was going to be killed by them yeah. that he wasn't going to be up to keeping his mouth shut. And they tried to buy It, it was a great story at the time um the the UK had undercover undercover operatives who had been approached and they were, you know, supposedly selling them um yeah uh, Uh, rocket launchers and other heavy weapons which the theory was they were going to try and blow up his cell in the Midlands prison or in Portlaoise at the time and they were going to do it from the road or from the fields in the background and all the lights were left on in the landing at the time like it was really you know at the height of I suppose the, the the fear of of the the McCarthy Dundons and what they were capable of which yeah. we know they're capable of of anything and their only the only limitation was I suppose their their capabilities rather than rather than their ambition yeah their ability the only limitation is their ability to stay to
2: not get caught which they have proved <laughs> to the, not yeah, to be as, a lot
1: of the stuff is very you know but, but, not very well planned you know, out with them and stuff they tend to react
2: but there is one young volatile criminal uh, that is associated with the the John Dundon that has Become a, a a real concern for Guardi operating in 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 the city, um, and that has been a part of some of the uh, the reemergence of the the, the Dundons as a as a serious criminal outfit.
1: And this younger associate, who we won't we won't name, but and we all know who it is, but would have been mentored nearly by Jur Dundon, the only brother. That was involved in criminality that remained free for yeah. the past ten years, and he has been okay. Jared Dundon, Dundon is now in prison in the UK. He's got a small enough sentence, um, but he has been out and about. He's been in and out of prison a little bit, but no major sentences. And he has been probably mentoring this younger
0: guy. Yeah, but well, well, a couple of years ago, we got a little insight into Jared Dundon and his and his domestic life. There was a a, a young woman um, contacted contacted us to tell her and told us this incredible story about having been, you know, threatened by her partner in the UK at the time. And she was a cousin of the Dundons and, you know, out of desperation, called them for help to get her out of, you know, a situation where her her ex was hanging her over the balcony of a flat. So, I mean, she was, right. was either die or ask the Dundons for help. And and she talked about like, you know, a little bit about how they're working and the kind of, you know, Relatively minor scams that they were involved in, and 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 criminality, but it also involved her driving, like you know, bags of either weapons or drugs between you know Manchester, Birmingham, and London, and she got out um, at one point when she figured that they were going to make her go work in a brothel in London, which we know that they've been involved in for a number of years. But one of the things she spoke about as well was this young relative, um, and at that stage he he was a preteen when she was talking about him, Uh, and it was very much. There was almost a fear uh, you know, about him that this guy was precinct. It was like all the, the spirit of his criminal ancestors were now right. vested <laughs> in this single young man. Um Jesus. and I and even as a preteen, like he was given huge respect by adults, really? you know, more than twice his age. Um, you know, and, and he was already adept at, you know, get you know, hot wiring or not hot wiring cars, but he was adept at stealing cars at this stage. Um, he was adept at breaking locks. He knew how to use a weapon. Like people were genuinely frightened of him, like, you yeah. know. And and he wasn't even he wasn't he hadn't even hit thirteen at this stage. So this guy now is a good bit older, and um, we, we figure that he's been involved in, a, in in two possible murders already, not directly, that we know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and and again, and this looks like he's the guy who is And he's the great white
1: hope for this he, and, and family gang like he's, to he's, rise again. He's,
0: you know, he's reviving things. And this idea of, you know, London street gangs turning up in Limerick kind of fits into the pattern that they've always they've always worked. that You know,
1: you know, like don't they sometimes describe these criminal gangs as being like a cancer and you're trying to root it out and you leave a tiny little speck and it grows again. Like and, you know, that's what I'm sure anybody living in Limerick is would Hate listening to this, the idea that they're going back to some dark days down there, or there's a possibility that they will. And well, it's a thriving city, Limerick. I mean, I know
2: people always complain that this association and it is possibly unfair on a a relatively small city, but um, because it is a beautiful place and uh, the very stable communities. But look, we're crime world so we talk about the crime aspect yeah, of yeah. it we're not yeah. sure. it's a
0: great rugby destination yeah. as well must mustache you know, you know there's plenty of go. people you know he's tourists go, come he's in going every for weekend politics as <laughs> soon as he
1: gives up the job here your man over there because he's Mr. Could be
2: nice it's could nice yeah, yes. yeah yeah yeah.
1: no look i agree completely yep. i know look i know i get it i get trolled if ever i mention limerick but the fact of the matter is this is what's happening yeah down and there. we're
2: we're, about, we're talking about crime we're not
1: so, yeah. were these raids you think concentrated on perhaps the uh, was this younger associate, as we're calling him, in the area? Do you think he's in and out of the well? I mean, there,
2: there have he has been uh, sources have said he has been back in the city in recent times, so
1: yeah, so possibly you could take you know, if you were from Limerick and you were angered listening to this, you could take it as a positive, I would think. That the guards are on top of them like that yeah. and there's raids starting already and this guy is, if they are targeting him, they're recognising the dangers of allowing anything like this fester again. Yeah. And that is part of the policing plan and the rejuvenation project of Limerick, that they do move very quickly if ever anything is happening within these gangs. So. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, um, you know, hopefully in this case, policing will dampen any threat of... That's true.
0: Yeah, And don't forget Hyde Road came up in another part yeah, of the forest Yeah, that's who we want to move well. to, yeah. to
1: Ross Browning, a much more sophisticated looking criminal maybe than some of these Dundon chaps. But um, um, so, yeah, because in the houses beside the Dundons, as I briefly mentioned, some of them, people, residents were ran out by the Dundons. They didn't seem to want neighbours. They sort of cuckooed a lot of these houses. And um, funny enough, in a previous court case involving Ross Browning, a cab case, there was two houses on Hyde Road which were seized, they were identified as belonging to him and he had sort of, they reckoned that these houses had been used as currency to pay for drugs. But, Browning is back before the High Court in a big way this week.
0: Yeah, the, the judgment was given uh, this week It's a 1.7 million um, Criminal Assets Bureau case against him um, and the key to it were was a number of these properties. Now, the, the, in Limerick, the, in well, not in Limerick in this case. There, there were Garryowen and um, and also then in Finglas as well. North and, and, and they were linked yeah. um, because of the way the money was used. So it it wasn't entirely it wasn't entirely um, sophisticated because mm. I mean it, it, it was pretty much they were able to trace the lump sums as it went through, and they were trying to hide the fact that um, it was it was drug money, and they used two people, both relatives of Ross Browning, who had um, compensation um payments had been made to them so they had a, a lump sum of money one of them for fifty seven thousand, the other for a uh, hundred thousand and they were buying basically it was a derelict fire damaged house in finglis which was then sold on to the other relative and then that was used as a seed money to buy Garristown, where they rejuvenated uh, chestnut lodge and built a new house without planning permission out of sight of, of, the, of the road along with an in, in you know an indoor equestrian area um, and the reason Hyde Road came up was it was part of the case against him that he was involved in criminality, um, and that uh, that certain bank accounts are only used for criminal reasons. Or and and in this case, Hyde Road, the, the the two the two houses in Hyde Road that he had made mortgage payments in in um, I think it was uh, twenty ten, shortly after Operation Shovel. But it was mentioned that he actually he had bought them, he had acquired them in two thousand and seven and two thousand and eight. And Barry Doyle, the the Dublin Gangster, the hitman who was serving life for Shane Gagan, used mm. one of those as his address at the time. So basically you had you had you had a you know a, a Dublin gangster whose brother was Paddy was murdered by the Kinahan cartel staying in the Kinahan cartel's man's number number one man in yeah. Ireland staying in his house in Limerick, or certainly using it as his postal address. I mean there's the derelict that's arguably he probably didn't stay there at all. There's a tree growing up through one of them but perimeter. but it, it just shows you the kind of the the Adrenesine Rooms, you know, as you, as you it, mentioned, that it was, it was the houses were possibly handed over as, as you know, a drug debt. So, I mean, just the, the whole circle and the connections between Ireland's underworld is, you know, it's every so often we get a
1: glimpse all of all scratching how one another's backs. Yeah. And like Ross Browning, just for anybody who doesn't know exactly who he is, he was sort of original Hardwick Street gang of the, the Kinahans, the original sort of Kinahan. Yeah, the original Brack core pack. group. Yeah. Which he, um, is a guy who is fitness fanatic um was involved in a sort of very snazzy gym type thing is into the zen lifestyle and uh, sort of quasi religious i suppose you could call him um and like he just would pass as as a hipster, I would think very <laughs> much so a hipster, <laughs> and a, f- a vegan. Yeah, you know all those things. I mean, exactly. You can't just imagine Wayne Dundon saying, oh, "I'll have the ve- the vegan option on <laughs> any menu." Like, no, because I mean, people always chicken
2: wings, but yeah, I mean, people in the in the area that Ross Browning, despite being the Kinnunen's number one man in in Ireland, as he's described in court, people always always oh, a gentleman. Didn't people say that? And people who yeah, knew him do. quite liked him. Mm-hmm. Always a lovely guy and. Um, he was a totally different uh, type of creature than than the, the Wayne Dundon, but you can see as well, uh, although it was traceable and it was a much more sophisticated uh, kind of operation that he was running, um, it was amazing to hear that he had an escape chute built into his luxury mansion with a it
0: was where? which was set in court, wasn't it? What? Yeah, there, there was um, fr- from an upstairs room um, it was basically like a like slide. A, 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 a slide, or I think it was a ladder, and it couldn't be accessed from outside, like but, the National Lottery. You, Ad. You, you, and it was yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, not quite. And it was um, hidden behind a piece of carpet, and he could just basically get a, get out of the house and drop down into the shed where there was a motorbike parked, which it turns out was Stephen Fowler's motorbike, and has also declared the proceeds of crime. let Oh, yeah. And that was there, it was, you know, it was very much there, as the judge put it, I was an instrument for, you know, uh, criminality, you know, having your motorbike was, you know, it was a way of him to get around. So if anything happened that he needed to get out of the house quick, he was there ready to go straight from the bat cave.
1: That is mad. Isn't yes no? it? a little bit nutty, isn't it, having a, a slide. The judge mentioned, or was it mentioned in court, that that, uh, that that Browning and his partner Sinead Mulhall had attended Daniel Kinahan's wedding in 2017. Yes, it was,
0: and again, yeah. this is all part of the background to show his involvement in criminality. Mm-hmm. And yes, he was at the, the the Burj Al Arab, and he was also at Christie Junior's wedding in two thousand and seven, yes. which was mentioned. Um, but and and you know, it, it was also mentioned like he was he was arrested um, in twenty ten in in Spain as, as part of Operation Shovel, uh, or I'm not sure if it was in Spain, but he was arrested anyway as part of Operation Shovel. Yeah, um, and he was in a house where a handgun was found, and there was also a, another associate of the of the Kinnahan Cartel was in the house with him at the time, and that, I think that's when the real investigation into him and his finances started. Then, mm-hmm. um, which led then to this, you know, the, these purchases of, they were all derelict properties. Chestnut Lodge was was basically a shell. Um, everything else was built from scratch. So, I mean, it was very much let's let's buy, you know, the worst piece of property we can find, and then pour loads of money into it, and say we did all the work ourselves. And, you know, it's a pattern, I think, that, you know, a number of of, of criminals uh, have used mm-hmm. who are now being targeted by ta- cab. And they're trying to say, well, you're overestimating, you know, how much was gone in. It's not 300,000. It's only 60 grand because I'm a plasterer. My dad's a block layer. Yeah. And, you know, I got these for free off a lad who's yeah, name I can't remember. Kind
2: of, yeah, it was kind of the late, it was the first cab were targeting properties, people buying properties without, you know, seemingly being able to do it. But then for a long time, people were able to do up very ordinary properties and cab didn't seem to go after that or... Didn't, that wasn't, they thought they could get away with that, but that has now been caught up. And you see that again and again in these cab cases where they estimate how much money is spent on maybe a relatively normal looking council house. And you'll find, like Lean like Byrne, that they've, they've put the value of the house in again into doing it up. Yeah. Um, You'd never get it back to a think normal
1: person. You wouldn't
2: spend that no, much on a house no. of the value. And I, I think they thought at the time the criminals that that this wouldn't be this would be a safe way to be able to spend money, just like the foreign travel as well, has yeah. also now caught up a number of years later, where they're they're really tracing those values and asking the question, how could you afford that?
0: And and there's also on the same point mm-hmm. I was making there, there, there was this idea then that if you paid a mortgage on a property, they wouldn't come after you. But you had to be able to show them how you're getting the money to pay for your mortgage. So there's no point in taking out a no. mortgage when you were paying it with drug yeah. money and, you know, you didn't really have any income. So that, that featured again in 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 this case as well. You know, that they did the, the Judge Owens made the point that, you know, Browning and Mulhall just didn't have the means to to pay for all, all this lifestyle mm-hmm. they had, including the trotting ponies and the the foreign holidays and and, and you know, even even the cars, which were relatively modest cars, in Audi Q7. And, the uh, National Lottery
1: slide, like, in particular. I mean, <laughs> I'm actually going to think about putting one of those into my house <laughs> I'd Love One. But you know, like Browning is one of the more curious characters, I suppose, of the um, the the Kinnahan gang, because you know, you talk about a lot of them, and they all pretty much have similar enough upbringings and a similar route into um, into the mob and. They all have their different roles or whatever, but they're, you know what I mean? They're not that different. Whereas Browning is an oddity. Like he is, you know, he um, is big into this lifestyle guru. I've just been looking for the name of the guy. He's an American. I can't find it. I think he went and did courses with him. And he did, they say, try to get out of the gang and try to get out of crime. And he, you know, he, he did... Want to have this sort of Zen life, sort certainly that was what was put forward. You know, he sort of um, wanted this, but at the same time, if you look at the timeline of what you're talking about at Garrison, he was talking about spiritually moving out into a into a better world and turning his back on crime while building an empire. Uh, you know, or certainly his his little. Uh, compound on the proceeds of crime. There's this yeah. total disconnect uh, yeah. even and, with and trying
0: even, to go even, straight. Even the gym you know, at, at Cross Guns, which was all about this sort of this healthy lifestyle and holistic approach to fitness and all yeah. the rest of it, didn't have a bank account like for the first three years in <laughs> existence. I mean, it was set up with mystery money. Uh, you know, it was mm. very very much, he didn't have the money to, to pay for all the equipment for the leases, for the refurbishment of new... Units that they took over, and then everybody working there was related, or very much, you know, a lot of relatives were 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 Mm -hmm. given jobs there. Like one of his aunts, Leslie Conway, was the was the the manager. She was one of the people named in the cab case. Uh, I I think there was uh, there was nine people named in the cab case, and they all, to some extent, fought it, resisted it, except for Browning himself, because they were trying to claim, well, you know, this actually was my. Um, flat or was my car or was my Rolex. Mm-hmm. But the point was that they were actually getting the money in, the, in initially to pay for their own car, the Rolex, you know, by, you know, either working for a cross guns or whatever. It really was ultimately coming from Ross Browning, the Kinahan cartel drug money is where it came from. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, the attempt to show that there was any innocent cash pretty much didn't work out. I mean, to a certain extent, it did for uh, Julie Conway and, and her husband, who's an ex garda detective, David O'Brien. Like he, he had borrowed uh, 40,000 euro from the, the Garda Credit Union, uh, which was used as, as part of the, the the refurbishment of Chestnut Lodge. So the judge has said any proceeds of the sale of Chestnut Lodge on itself, a quarter of it can, goes back, can go back to them. But it's very much limited to, as he put it, the curtilage of, of the property. So it's none of, the, none of the land around. It's literally just what the, the house is standing on. And similarly with Ian O'Hare, um, who we know is a convicted drug dealer, you know, and and he was the link between the the Mr. Flashy crew and and the Kinnan cartel. Like he he was the guy, the go between. He's a second cousin of, of Ross Browning, so oh, right. very, very much keeping things in the family. Yeah. Now he did he did have his um, compensation payment. So again, the judge says if this house in Finglas when it's sold, that he he has a, li- a lien. Like he basically he's the guy, he's going to get paid back his hundred thousand. Now whether or not, you know, he still owes that, or whether it's been paid back between him and Ross Browning isn't the judge's business as far as he's concerned that, you know, he actually did put in some money that, you know, came from legitimate means. Although he did offer to, he, he there was talk about in one of his counter affidavits that he was going to buy it back for 50,000, which suggests that, you know, the deal was already done between himself and Brian It's very
1: black and white, the cab, isn't it really? You know what I mean? You can account for this money. You got it from a compensation claim, so you can have that bit back when we sell up. But the rest of it... Yeah, I mean,
0: look. If you, if you say you want it, if you say you want it on a horse, they'll they'll go. They'll, they'll pretty much go and, and talk to the horse. Yeah, like, yeah you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they, they, they'll they'll go yeah. right through it. I mean, I mean, and 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 they have to. I mean, because it was too easy in the past to let. Um, you know, I mean, in fairness to revenue inspectors, there's there's civilians. They're, they're not armed guards. They don't mm. have necessarily the power of arrest or anything like that. I mean, of course, they can go anywhere and see stuff, but they're not going to walk into, you know, some hardened criminals. You know, lair and start looking for, for information. They need that kind of backup. So it, it was easy for them to get out of, you know, having to mm. deal with somebody really tough. they said, well, I want it on a horse, and here's me betting slips. So they go ground, and they sign off in the file. You want it on a, on a bet. You can't do that now. Yeah, they they yeah, will yeah. go. They will They will track it down.
1: The um, mention of the Kinahan cartel obviously moves us to the other big story of the week, which was the um, discovery of a big cocaine mixing factory. And... There is, you know, this seems to have been a big one. There could be others around the country. These are places where the cocaine is brought in and then it's moved to these factories where it is literally mixed up with linocaine, which I think is a dental. Lidocaine. Lidocaine, which is a dental kind of a, a... it's a kind product. of a numbing agent, mm-hmm. I think. So obviously cocaine. And they is mix a, it with all other things like detergents and um, talcum powder and everything else. But it's mixed up and it is then bulked. So what you're doing is you're bringing in, say, for example, 150,000 euro worth of cocaine from Colombia. You land that in Dublin, you bring it to your factory and you multiply it, the the bulk of it yeah. by three. So you're multiplying your profits by three. Yeah. I mean, it's not as if they're making enough as it is.
2: No. And they do, they use lidocaine because it's a numbing agent. So, Mm. you know, which obviously cocaine is a numbing agent as well. Like that's probably its original usage was for medical purposes for numbing. So
1: Was there a dentist or something in Love Hate that was...
0: Yeah. 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 Was, know, yeah yeah, and, it was, and it, that was exactly it he was uh, applying the he was bringing the in, cane, yeah, yeah he was yeah. able to bring
1: it in kind of like legitimately just, just when you're going to get
0: the injection into the gum when yeah. you getting your tooth out and you put some of that on or a patch or rub it on or whatever yeah.
1: it numbs the area around the tooth but you know <sighs> Simon Harris made some interesting comments this week mm. about cocaine and he sort of really laid it at the feet of the recreational drug users who are funding it and um, And it's a point, like, I mean, in the end of the day, they're exactly the people who take it, enjoy it and don't have to live with the consequences of it because they go back to their areas that aren't affected by um, the likes of what we were talking about in Limerick. Some of the areas that the Dundah McCarthy's and the other gangs live in, they don't live in those areas, so they don't have to kind of face up to what's happening with it. Um, and they... Though arguably needed a Simon Harris who does, who. who is well,
2: a part of the cabinet that directs... Well, Simon the Harris office. isn't
1: taking cocaine as far as we know, so no, he's you know not. what I mean? Well, it's people who are taking it who are actually out in clubs at the weekend and are handing the money which is going right up the chain into the pocket of Christy and Daniel Kinahan uh, empowering them to, uh, you know, come back and try and corrupt the country. I mean, you know, I think... It really is time that middle class party goers take some responsibility for all this that's happening.
2: Well, well, can I give you the opposite point? Go on. Why don't? Why like? Why look are we? Why are we taking lectures from? Look, well, why are we taking lectures from government ministers who direct the government's drug policy? The government's criminal organisation are they not the ones that are more responsible? And what's wrong with the government's drug? Well, policy? Well, is it working? Is it working? Like as that's, in. As in, is, is the policies that they have, are they working? Are they working for the people that are addicted? Are they providing enough beds for people that are addicted to drugs? Are they making that a priority? What are the government's priorities when it comes
1: to drugs? Is there ever enough when it comes to well, resources? Exactly. Do we, do we I mean, have enough they, money? Are
2: they Or are they spending their money on uh, other stuff that... that you know,
1: fuel allowances and things like that. I don't know. I don't think we should get political No, here. we shouldn't. I really don't. But I'm, I'm not really going
0: to... No, no, well. no. Out of interest, I mean, yeah. th- I mean the, the, the buzzword these days is it's all about harm reduction. So, yeah. I mean, rather than talk about legalizing or decriminalizing, you know, and all the, the difference that means, um, in, instead of that, it's about harm reduction. So, if you say, right, well, cannabis, harm reduction, what can we do there? Like, probably the best way to reduce harm in that case is take it out of the hands of the of the criminals, and make it available in shops. And you, and you try and make sure it doesn't get into under 21s or under 18s. And, yeah. and there's lots of things to be teased out, the strength of it and, you know, where you sell it and all the rest. And then with harder drugs, um, not necessarily heroin, but say, you know, the recreational drugs that you're talking yeah. about, like MMDA, ecstasy and cocaine. And, and cocaine, where do you go with that? Like you, know, and like, you know, you're getting into a very tricky area legalizing that. But at the same time, you want to take it out of, out of the hands of the criminals. So... You know, there's different versions of it. Like Vancouver uh, have an experiment now that they've basically decriminalized everything, but they haven't done anything else. They've just decriminalized it. So now they have a huge problem with homeless addicts turning up from all over Canada onto the streets of Vancouver. Um, And again, like they said, it's a minimum. I think there's something like 2.9 grams of meth you can have, which the the people on the street will say, that's actually a dealer amount. Like if you have 2.9, you're dealing. So if you look at a place like Portugal, where they have... You know, they have a different attitude. It's it's seen as a health issue. So if you if you're if you're using heroin and you're causing a problem, you you, you you're not given a choice. You're told you have to go to rehab, and if you don't, then you're dealt with as a criminal. Mm. So, and it's not a black and white issue. It's not about legalise it. You know, take it out of the hands of the criminals. It's it's going to take all these approach. Like you can't button charge drugs off the streets.
1: In an ideal world, you would deal with it in from a health point of view for people addicted to it. People who have like addiction issues, and then for those who are just out enjoying it and going home to their, you know, yeah, their penthouse pads, you deal with them in some sort of a, you know, a criminal way, or you get, you know, they, 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 something. Surely okay. they can't fund it, walk away from it, never have to well, look like at the consequences com- it's, it's of it. It's a complex
2: it. problem, but and I'm not, uh, but like the go, like if you are addicted to drugs in this country and you seek help is that help going to be easily or readily available? I don't know that it is.
0: Well, it's not. I mean, yeah. it's no, just not. Not, not so, unless you're, you're middle class wealthy and you can pay for know, private and insurance. And a family that's going to support yeah. you. You can you yeah. can probably get so, through it. But mm. but if you're if you if you're not in that position where you've got, you know, a support network, you're in you're in trouble if you're mm. relying on public services. Absolutely. To, I mean, are there
1: even
2: any I mean, you can count there wouldn't even be 50 beds, I'd say, available in mm. public hospitals for people suffering from cocaine addiction, for example.
1: No, it's definitely um, yeah. But look, Simon Harris, as I say, he uh, he sort of is moving towards that area though of calling out the people who are funding well, it. i trying to kickstart
0: a, a discussion. I think is what he's trying to do. Yeah, and or kick the discussion away from him from his <laughs> responsibility, down the road whatever way you want <laughs> to look yeah,
1: at it. Yeah. The Finally, then <laughs> look, Tommy Robinson. Tommy Robinson. Mm. I mean,
2: look, it's it's. What's happening with the anti-asylum seeker protests is like it really has escalated. I mean, if you think about this country it has no tradition of that kind of uh, far right agitation. Like it just doesn't have it. No. So all of a sudden we have people like Tommy Robinson. Remember, it's notorious the world over.
1: Notorious? Like.
2: Yeah, really notorious. And out of nothing this is something that Ireland is going to face now, definitely. And you have him over here Mm -hmm. mixing, you know, with people.
1: Just shows how they are trying to infiltrate that cause, if you'd call it. And in a way, maybe his appearance in the middle of it. And he was photographed this week with a convicted criminal, um, Harpo O'Driscoll, D.D. O'Driscoll's brother from Ballyfermot, And, um, you know, having those images maybe in a way might turn some people away from what they believe is an actual campaign. Just,
2: yeah, look, there's normal people. In Surely the there's of normal that, people who are going
1: to look at that and see, okay, this is what this is what this is about. This yeah. is about shoring up support for the far right. Um, but but like the, by the tactics Tommy Robinson has perfected over a
2: decade or, or more, remember, like, you know, in terms of agitation, far right agitation, like they are quickly being adopted over here, not by all of the protesters, not saying they're all the same or anything like it, but they are they're using the same tactics. And a lot of it is around the fear of crime, fear of crime by immigrants. Yeah. Most of those scare stories that have gone around have not proven to be true. Um, But have
1: you noticed with Tommy Robinson? Do you watch him or do you Uh, look at him or anything? I'm actually quite interested in Uh, him. I find him a fascinating character. He has actually started to soften his image. Wow. In the last while, he did a big interview with James English, the podcaster, mm-hmm. um, who has a interview tucked away there with Daniel <laughs> yeah, Kinnahan, a yeah. three-hour one. Yeah. Um, but you know, he's done this interview with him, and he's being all very friendly. I mean, he's wh- what he's talking about is is obviously disgusting, but he has this image, and there's he's putting up a lot of social media about him being a loving father. He's bringing his kids in on it, and you know, he's. He's um, Look, not as angry and as, you know, you used to see images of him with the veins coming yeah. up on his neck and he was sort of screaming and roaring. It's like as if he's taken some advice to... But he's quite a talented broadcaster. I,
2: I'd say that for him. I mm. think he is quite a talented broadcaster. And, you know, it is slightly more complex maybe than... than. like Tommy Robinson's not like a neo-Nazi that is coming out with white power sort of stuff. But it doesn't mean that it's not racist... At its heart, um, so they are. It's, it's ferociously racist. Ferociously racist, but he,
1: but they have a different packaging, and that's. But he's th- sort of, he's he's coming out with it. Is what I mean. Yeah. Without that angry sort yeah, of yeah, yeah. image, it's now this soft family man image, yeah. and it's way more dangerous yeah. because it's like there's some marketing advice there.
0: Yeah, but that's that's what the Americans have, the American far right have done that for years, mm-hmm. and it's all about. Like there's some handbooks about how you get people interested, in, and you bring up an issue, whether it's you know fear of immigrants coming into a hotel in your area, and they say things like don't mention don't mention the Jews, don't mention uh, black people, just wait till you just talk about the the local issue first, and then. You, you figure out who's most likely to kind of want to become a you know a white supremacist or whatever, and and that's what some of them what some mm. of them are doing. They're using it as, as but a potential remember,
2: a lot of recruiting People People support Tommy Robinson, don't think they're racist. I mean, let's let's be realistic. They don't. No, and because remember, there's and this Tommy narrative Robinson, which yeah. is
1: like, oh, I don't want my children to be hurt, or my yeah. you know this kind of you hear this yeah. constant narrative like I wouldn't like my sister to be walking along no. that road. I wouldn't like my they sort of home in on that that the female is this vulnerable character. And that they're only looking to protect females, so that's kind of something that will.
2: I mean, Tommy Robinson, of course, was being advised quite close to Steve Bannon, you know, who was Donald Trump's uh, mm. spin doctor. So they have, like, been did, and Steve Bannon has spoken about it, about yeah. about how Tommy Robinson's yeah. a great guy and all of that. So they have, they have, yeah. uh, they are more sophisticated. And, and
0: don't forget, there's a market for um, Robinson's journalism. Yeah, and you know that. Yeah, that's. It's a, it's I mean, journalism it's a, it's a, thing. No, but the, right across the US, I mean, there is there is a market for it. He's getting paid; like he's making money, whether it's yeah. through, you know, advertising online or whether he's getting checks or whatever directly. From I mean, I think the, he the, is. The likes being... News or whoever he's, you yeah, know, yeah. does work for at different different times. There is a market for it, mm. and I mean, and a, a lot of not necessarily what Robinson is doing, but even like there's a case this week. There was a man convicted over th- uh, threats to, to set alight a hotel in Kildare. And it was very much typical, you know, Toby Robinson light in a way. You know, he was walking around streaming um, streaming live on social media talking about, well, we don't know who's coming. Why won't you tell me? Why are you lying to the people of the town? It's all men of military age coming in and all this kind of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stoking up fear that what didn't exist. I mean, and as it turns out, it's nearly all women and children that yeah. have moved into that particular place. I think there was there was four single men, I think, was, was set in court. Um, and and they were from they're, they're, you know they were from various countries. They weren't from all one country, and they weren't people who had been involved in fights in another uh, you know uh, asylum centre. I mean, there, there's certainly some issues around how our government is is handling um, certainly a direct provision, which has been a, you know a cause for the left.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: you know, in terms of like you know people aren't being well treated. They're taking too long um, to, mm-hmm. to get through cases. And and with no doubt, there's a there's a certain amount of people who we know recently are, are trying to play the system by turning up without any documentation in Dublin Airport, who are coming from countries that are deemed safe and that I they can be sent to. there's a huge problem to, as well
2: mm-hmm. in Dublin, where you have communities that are the housing crisis, the price of uh, the price of housing of you know they can't afford to live where their where their parents, their grandparents lived in places like East Wall, where they've lived for generations and all of a sudden mm-hmm. they can't afford, this generation can't afford to live there, can't get housed there. And it's caused huge anger. And a this is storm in a way. Yeah, and it's been directed at asylum seekers. And it's unfortunate. And nothing that we're going to say, it's going to, unfortunately people just believe that it's, they're just, they have these, the propagandists really have, have are, 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 are reaching them. And Completely, that's unfortunate. Yeah, and
1: people are very worried about it. Like you speak to people out there on the ground and people who, um, you know, are on the fringes of it and they're actually pulling back because they're very worried about what's going to happen. And Yeah. There is, there is, you know, there is
2: some, something will happen. Something uh, will happen, yeah. So it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's unfortunate because it's yeah. not been a feature of Irish life. We've had huge amount of immigration into the country very successfully for the most part. And. You just you don't want your kids to grow up in a in
0: a i mean in, in terms sort of, in terms of per head of population Ireland have done really well in bringing in ukrainians into into this country and it should be it shouldn't be forgot like it, europe's at war it's a mm. it's a full scale full-on war they, these aren't normal times and mm. people need to remember that they and do, not to be taking it out on vulnerable people
1: absolutely absolutely agree with you totally well look so it was a busy week it
2: was a busy week again
1: Imagine we sat here one week and there was like nothing to talk about and we had to just Well, we
2: sort of just talk about my upcoming political career that I didn't Do what is it?
1: Political career you really are you I mean you I'm really on are. My way. You're actually the cause of complaints oh from Christ. a lot of people. <laughs> yes. I know. <laughs> and I mean they're, they're all my friends of course. No, but um, but um you are very political. Well, compassionate. Compassionate.
0: Well, everything is political. Do you I, think? Think? Oh I mean, God, well, well everything Jesus. is. <laughs> <it's hard laughs>
1: <in the laughs> You're not allowed in again. <laughs> And I did note that you're dressed up, you're dressed up. Well, he didn't have to be told. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be told enough that I'd now make the mistake again. No, seriously, this video thing, you have to kind of like be a little bit tidier. You even got a little haircut, have you?
0: <laughs> I had it done anyway. <laughs> as you as you say,
1: yeah. I didn't need to be told. No. Right. Oh, by the way, uh, Rita wrote back. Yeah. And uh, I am i don't need to go for jury duty. Yeah. Thank, thank God. She's, she's back to me like in like Flynn about 24 hours and yeah. I was excused the criminal class conceived Eamon's conceived looking at me, going what is she doing I was called for jury duty you see so yeah. I got off it if they're ever
0: looking for a good lucky person if they're ever looking for a good jury
1: in North Korea <laughs> guilty I'd love to go there I bet you they all have slides coming out of their mm. houses in North Korea <laughs> I bet you they do
0: only the, only the rich guys
1: yeah. yeah right well look until next week Thank you very much. Thanks,
0: Nicola. Thanks, Nicola.
1: You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Tallent. Research assistant is Clodamini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.